Hey guys, this is Liz Cambay. This is Nikki Collins. What up, guys? This is Esther Hey, this is Imani Lee Stafford. Hey, this is Jordan Canada. This is Asia Wilson. Welcome to the WNBA Nation. WNBA Nation. Hello again. Welcome to the show. It is Tuesday, August 30th. As I record this, I am Steve Schwartzman. Uh, I am here running a one-man show for this edition of the program. Uh, we will have several more editions of the program. As the playoffs continue to roll on, we'll have mixtures of two, three, sometimes one host. It's, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag, however we can make it happen so that we can continue to get you some fluid coverage. But as I said, uh, we're sitting here on a Tuesday morning in my basement. Department, good time. We got some game one semifinal matchups to discuss, some game two semifinal matchups to look forward to. We might even have a little bit of time to talk about some awards. First things first, before I dive into any and all of that, uh, as always, you can connect with us in several different ways. One of the best ways to really touch all bases is to head over to our website, WNBANation.com, and get connected to our social channels. We're at Pod on Twitter, likewise over on Facebook. Connect with us anywhere you can find our content. Of course, anywhere your podcast can be found, especially on Apple Pod, where you can leave us a five-star review, give us a comment, do whatever you can to help bump us up that algorithm just a little bit more. You can connect with us live on Twitch, where we commonly record many of our episodes, but also connect with a really fun live audience. We get have fun and chat. We answer some Q&As. Uh, you'll get some special content that you won't necessarily get on the pod feed, which is pretty cool. So connect with us over there. Uh, you can uh, keep in mind when we're doing our watch parties over on Playback. Those are an absolutely great time. Some of my most favorite stuff we do is over on Playback. So you should stay connected, of course, with that. If you want to connect with any merch, get some sweet digs. And, and rep the show, uh, you can link over to our merch page as well. We have a lot of stuff going on out and about with the show right now. Uh, like I said, the best place to head over is the website, wmadation.com. Bookmark it if you want to. You don't have to homepage it. We're not going to tell you to do that. You don't have to like pin the tab. I mean, if you want to on your laptop, but we definitely would appreciate you know, bookmarking it, have it in note, and it can keep you connected with everything we have going on with the program. That said, it's time to dive into uh, the semifinals, the 2022 WNBA playoffs. We are now fully in swing. Both first games for both matchups are done and dusted. It was a weekend of upsets, lower seeds, road teams, both pulling off upsets, taking Technically, uh, taking back home court advantage in both of their matchups. Really exciting. We'll dive a little bit into each game. We'll talk a little bit about, you know, if you're the higher seed in either of these matchups, which team might be a little more nervous, which team might feel like they're a little bit more in control and not necessarily sweating the game one results. We'll see how that goes. And then, like I said, we have a couple of words that we'll dive into as well, first things first, the four seed Seattle Storm knockoff will upset the one seed Las Vegas Aces in game one um, at MGM or the Michelob Ultra Arena, as it were. 76-73, uh, this was an extremely cl- close game toward the end. Seattle was in control for a really good bulk of it, but... Um, 
the Aces made some adjustments to, to quote those thing, those needs over in the second half and made things very close in the fourth. They even put together a late lead, uh, but a handful of things uh, ended up putting the storm at the end of the day on top of things. Uh, it was kind of a too little too late push for, for the aces, but they were able to establish a lead. And I think one of the main things you can give full credit to, let's talk a little bit about Jewel Lloyd. You've got the big three in Seattle. Let's start by talking about the third one because she had an absolutely mm-hmm. phenomenal outing. 26 points. Uh, she shot 10 for 19. So just over 50%. She dropped four threes. She had four assists. She was all over the place uh, on the court and late, especially uh, could not have been a more valuable player hitting some late shots really uh Quiet in the crowd, putting away uh, some of the momentum the Aces could have had. This easily could have been a game that when the Aces overtook this lead late, they could have rode that momentum into uh, you know this being what looks like a smooth win on paper for for Vegas. And one of the main components to quieting that down was was Jewel Lloyd and her expert shot making. Um, I know she hit an easy jumper. Uh, uh, yeah, at around the four minute mark, uh, at that point, that was the Aces not only were pulling ahead, but Chelsea Gray and Raquana Williams were really taking off. They had a three point lead. Lloyd drops a jumper, cuts it to one, keeps things very ni- nice and close. With under two minutes left, she drops a three that puts them ahead for good. And then comes in with another set of free throws, hits another quality jumper with under a minute left. That uh, set the final score. Um, yeah, I mean, she, uh, you know, Jewel was uh, an absolute gem, pun intended, as far as this performance looked. Um, but across the box score, I mean, obviously, a lot of people have given huge credit to Sue Bird, which I mean, they absolutely should. I mean, she dropped 12 assists on the night, um, was a, a huge matter there. Dropping 37 minutes, I believe she averaged like 10 full minutes shorter than that throughout the year. Um, so this was a, a big haul for her. Uh, only took six shots as far as offensive, you know, scoring was considered, uh, wasn't really a target there. And I don't think she was intending to be. She distributed the ball extremely well. She even went in on the boards. Um, played extremely well defensively, you know, tried to have the legs to slow Kelsey Plum and company down. And I think did just enough. I mean, Plum got her 20 and, you know, had a good night as far as things were considered, but shot eight for 23 from the field. I mean, really struggled in that sense. And Sue is definitely a big part of that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the storm played about as well throughout the night as you possibly could. The aces, it felt like it was kind of a mixture of rough timing and a little bit of rust here and there. Um, Asia Wilson probably will be the main discussion here. Shot three for 10 on the night was 0 for one in the fourth. I believe only took one shot in the fourth quarter. I could be wrong. Feel free to correct me on that. Um, which was interesting, if not concerning in some ways, uh, you know, only dropped eight points was very stout from the boards, had 12 assists, uh, three blocks. I mean, still contributing in a lot of ways, but we weren't able to see her on the offensive uh, run probably as much as they would have liked to. Uh, the Aces only ran a seven deep setup for this game, which, you know, isn't 
incredibly rare in a lot of cases. Uh, Raquan Williams came off the bench and had two very key threes, one that actually put them in their first lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, she, she had a lot of momentum. Chelsea Gray may have been the star of the night as far as the aces are concerned. Um, looked really great, great with 21 points, five assists, and very much was trying to hit those pivotal points in the fourth quarter. There was a point in those last five minutes where it really felt like it was the Jewel versus Chelsea show. Uh, who was going to bend first? Who was going to hit the big shot? And it just felt like the momentum kind of went to Jewel, you know, and, and, and she hit some key shots right at the end that put them ahead for good. But Chelsea Gray played phenomenally well. This is the exact setting that a player like Chelsea Gray is signed or traded for. It's for these exact moments. She has shown to be a pivotal player, in high impact moments in playoff games, in big matchups. Um, she did that for the Sparks helping them on their way to the 2017 title. She very much came to Vegas for exactly that. And she's going to show her value and it's going to really show its value through the rest of this series. Um, and that's really the story of things. I mean, this was a, a really fun matchup that ended up being extremely close. Um, we really felt throughout the entire game, I think anyone watching this were looking at, I think, the Aces run of things. And it was curious to see the amount of struggle they potentially had. I believe they had a nine-point deficit would have been their largest deficit throughout the night, 11 points. I mean, early on in the, the second quarter, they dropped as high as like 11 or 12. And um it felt like they were a step behind, but it really seemed like at some point they would make it work. And in the third quarter, you know, Becky Ham's adjustments were great, which was let's not go in and try to get a run and kick this out. They used the third quarter, really chipped at things. They cut the lead to three entering the fourth. And then they really started making effective shots, uh, you know, disrupting things for the storm really well. And that's where it really felt like the storm just kind of said, let's get to our hot hands and see if we can, and close this out, and it worked out for them for game one. So the Storm Steel game one, um, the Aces now will head into game two uh, tomorrow as I record this on Wednesday. Uh, they'll stay in Vegas for game two, and we'll see how those adjustments are made. I mean, if I'm, you know, I, I think as opposed to saying, you know, which of the top seeds who lost their first game is more nervous, I would say, you know, uh, you know, what's the the buyer sell amount or maybe like the confidence rate um, heading into this next game. You know, how confident are you feeling about this next game? And then how much do you think you need to make adjustments? And, you know, if I'm looking, if I'm Vegas and I'm looking at this performance, uh, my confidence rate's still pretty strong. I'm coming in at about 80%. I, you know, I don't realistically see Seattle stealing two games on the road in this case. This was a very excited Vegas crowd. They really wanted to see their team pull off this, uh, this comeback win. And I just, it's really simple for me. I just don't see Adria Wilson having another game like this. I don't see her going three for 10 again. I don't see her settling for just a cut, you know, a couple shots in the, the second half and only one shot in the fourth. Um, I expect her to put in a stronger offensive effort and to continue to maintain a strong defensive effort. I think it's impressive that she you was know, still able to come in with three blocks, play very hard D, uh, you know, play quality minutes at the five, especially against the onslaught that Seattle has with Ezie McGregor and Tina Charles. Uh, 
with only three fouls. Like I, I think she can maintain that well, but, but she definitely needs an increase in touches. You know, I look at gray and plum with 15, 30 shots a piece or 23 shots a piece. I mean, um, and I think you can increase that load a little bit. I would get Wilson well into the teens as far as attempts go. I would make sure she gets a good five or six in the first quarter alone. It'd really get her comfortable. Uh, I would have my first few possessions um, work down low, try to disrupt things, try to you know force that front court in of Seattle to, to work in some energy and see if that gets things, see if she can get to the line and work things around. I just don't expect her to, to have as, as rough of a night as she did. And then, and if she's playing at a very high level and you're getting what you can expect out of Kelsey Plum, if Chelsea Cray is playoff Chelsea, as she's shown to be, these is have very much potential to turn this into a strong upset performance. Um, you know, I could potentially see them winning this, even in easy fashion, this could be one of those, you know, you, you woke the beast type of games. But Seattle is shown to be a very stout defensive team. They're one of the best defensive teams in the entire league. And it may be hard to pull in a blowout against them at the way that they're playing. But uh, right now, if, if I put my money on it, I would see the Aces evening this series out. Uh, coming out of game two, and we'll just have to see how that goes. But again, I just, you know, it's hard for me to believe that Asia would do that, especially there's a lot of, you know, she's going to have a lot of positive energy, a lot of hype, just pulled in a defensive player of the year award. We're just on the cusp of, you know, determining uh, what that means for the MVP award discussion. My feeling is it will be announced at some point in this series. In fact, I wouldn't be shocked if it was announced on Wednesday, if uh, it went a certain way, or later on toward the weekend uh, in Seattle, if it went another way. Wink, wink. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's my key on things. But you know, a really phenomenally played game by the Storm. It felt like even though Seattle was cutting leads, was finding a way above, they kept composure. They had a really strong strategy to keep things at bay, and then they went to their hot routes, who seemed to have a good touch, who seemed to be making buckets. Very often, uh, Jewel Lloyd is going to be one of those players, and she made it happen. Um, and you know, the contributions amongst this team altogether. Uh, it's interesting because if you're a plus or minus believer, I'm not always necessarily, but if you are, Tina Charles really gets the edge here. She's plus 12. She comes in with 13 points, 18 rebounds. Um, you know, it, it has been a huge contributor there. The, the front court with Seattle, uh, saw a huge glow up adding her and balancing between her and Magbagor and, and how, you know, they were both just playing. Uh, extremely phenomenal ball right now and really making it so that five position is hard to beat. And when you look at Asia, who was handed the, the mantle at the five this season, um, in a big way, it, that's a tough ask and, and, and a lot of work on, on Asia's front. But I think the effort's there. And we, when you're a player of that caliber, you, you kind of step up to the plate and see what happens. Um, so we'll see how her and like Kia Stokes really match up there as far as things look. The front there. Let's move over to Chicago. The Connecticut Sun upset the Chicago Sky 68-63. This was much more of a, de- a defensive matchup. Scoring was a little more sparse as far as this looked. You know, this was a case where Chicago pulled ahead, actually, with about two minutes left. The thing is, with that Chicago crowd, who has shown to already be very electric, with Candace Parker playing... Uh, hero ball in many ways. She very much 
felt like I think a lot of people were saying it on Twitter. It felt like she was very much putting this team on her shoulders, trying to will this win through her efforts. And the way that she was playing, the way that the crowd was moving at that point, uh, Connecticut found a way to maintain themselves and win. And they really did it through maintaining consistent ball, playing stout defense, uh, winning the rebound game. That's a huge thing for, for Connecticut. If they decidedly win, if they, if they're winning in the rebound game, they're extremely hard to beat in the final score. And they very, you know, 47, 36 was the rebound totals. Uh, they just, you know, came very much hard to play there. Uh, defensive rebounds, especially was a big point there for them. Um, yeah, they distributed well. You had four players in double figures. Uh, you know, Bonner went 15 to nine. Alyssa Thomas had a double double. You had John Quell as well. John Quell and Bonner were both a rebound shy of a double double. Uh, Courtney Williams was two buckets and a rebound shy of a double double. You had four play, four starter, four starters with nine or more rebounds. All of them in, in, in that double double realm. Extremely impressive. I mean, it was really, uh, you, you know, cool to see and something that I think helped put them in the driver's seat for a lot of this performance. I think, of course, you know, we're, you know, you talk Courtney and company and, and, and her hustle and what uh, she's brought back to this squad with her return and how that's worked really well. I'm commonly a believer in always like you can't always get the band back together. You know, when a player leaves a team and comes back, it's not always going to pay the biggest dividends, but it really feels like that might be happening in Connecticut. She seems to have that energy that adds some extra edge to this starting squad. Um, and, it, and it's really showing it off extremely well. Again, an interesting plus minus thing. Again, if that doesn't matter to you, it doesn't have to matter to you. Natisha Heidemann was the lowest scorer of all the starters. She only comes in with five points and four assists and two rebounds, plus 18. Um, so I think her presence has been hugely felt, even if not so much in the scoreboard. I think that speaks to her ability to support her teammates who are in control and and do those things that the score sheet doesn't show, play well off the ball. They seem to all really understand their role as far as that starting squad looks, and they, they look extremely strong. Talking a little bit, though, about the Sky, I mean, this was a tough performance across the board for them. They shot 35% from the field. They only shot 26% from three, um, missed a couple key free throws. I mean, it just felt like it was a, a really tough night for them. They had 11 turnovers, which isn't high-level concerning, uh, but something that I think could help sway things a little bit here and there. But the story of the night had to be Candace Parker. 19 points, 18 rebounds, 6 blocks, 5 assists, 4 steals. I mean, this was 2008 run-type Candace Parker performance where uh, she was putting in stat sheets we'd never seen before. She was trying to contribute at a high level in every single potential spot on the court, was putting in the work wherever she could, and when it came time that someone needed to get buckets to get Chicago back into the game, Candace was the one that seemed to have to do it. It just felt like uh, no one else, especially in the starting five, could really make things work. Uh, Miesemann... Fair to medium at 4 to 11 from the field, but Quigley was 3 for 10. Vandersloot's 2 for 8. Copper's 5 for 10. 
the rest of the bench only getting a bucket apiece, not really able to to get any rhythm going. And so at that point, that the move had to move to, to head over to her, but she's still dragging rebounds all on the defensive end. So she's taking back possessions and then trying to turn them into points, um, distributing as best she can. Again, six blocks, that's monster you know, performance. I'm really impressed, honestly, that Chicago, each player in the starting five had a block, which is, is kind of cool. You don't always see that. You just wish it transitioned into points. And this is the other story is when we talked about Vegas and Seattle, it's hard to say that you put Seattle a little bit more in control as far as things are considered, because you don't expect Asia Wilson to have the night she did. I think it's hard to expect Chicago to have the shooting night that they did. And you'd expect them to distribute their offensive prowess a little better and, and put on a stronger scoring performance, put a little of that offensive pressure back over to, to Connecticut early where I give Connecticut a little more confidence in, in the upset pool above where I'm giving Seattle is simply to say, I just think that, the key points that they're hitting well are the types of things that can quiet or disrupt an offense that can stop runs more effectively and really potentially help put you in control, help you, you know, rule time of possession and, and ultimately find a win. They're very proficient on the boards. They look stout fairly defensively. They don't turn the ball over. It really seems like they're able to, and, and more than that is turning, you know, forced turnovers, what they're forcing, they're also turning into points and they're transitioning that well. That's something that you've got to find a way to crack in that armor a little bit if you're Chicago. If you play a typical Chicago game and you're scoring fluidly, obviously you, you, you fix a lot of these problems, but that, if if you're allowing Connecticut to control the boards can, and control possessions that way, that's where it's going to get extremely tough for them. So uh, at this point, I, I look at this and I go, uh, while I give some edge to Connecticut on this, I get the sense that Chicago is going to turn this one around for a victory. It's almost very similar shades to what you saw in the first round against Dallas, where Dallas pulled off that upset and Chicago got really mean about it. And one in a big way. I could easily see that happen. The difference here is, um, in, in Seattle's case, getting that second win in game two and then heading into Seattle feels like a huge must. If they're, if they're neck and neck and then heading into Seattle, they have some edge because they stole home court advantage in some way or another. But I don't know that they fill a lot of those gaps against Vegas as well. I think Connecticut's looking at this saying, we, if we split our games, we feel really good heading in to our home games and potentially stealing this series. I think they feel like they have a lot more confidence as far as that's considered. And that's just off my assumption and the top of my brain. But this this was a great matchup. This was a very intense uh, physical defensive matchup. This is the time of this is the type of game that your dad or dad's dad loves to watch, right? It's it's physical, it's defensive. Uh there's you know, it's 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 scrappy. It's on the ground. You got players fighting for balls left and right. Now we don't necessarily want to see people having to force technical fouls over and over again because they're spending too much time fighting for the ball. But again, that shows you what the physicality of this series has to offer. You know, Connecticut probably very much has last season's playoffs in mind. They came in with all the chips. It really felt like it was their year to take and their year to lose. 
And it's a bad taste in their mouth having to deal with that upset last year. And they want to take that back and turn it into a deep run, especially in a year where they're 25 and 11. They're playing really well at all cylinders. They're playing at that level that we've seen them play for the past several seasons. And yet no one's really paying attention to what Connecticut's putting in. This is a team easy to forget. They're one game out of being a top seed in this playoffs. It's not like them being a third seed is this huge demotion. They were very close to being in that discussion and they want to take that discussion back if they can help it. So I would not expect them to let up on the gas, sit on their laurels. I think they really want to pull this thing off. And so it's going to make game two really interesting. I think you're going to continue to see a physical, energetic, uh, emotional style of basketball out of these series. Uh, That's what makes this one entertaining. I think the level of um, just big-time star playoff-style players in the Seattle Aces game is what makes that one exciting. These are two phenomenal series. Um, these are two series that if they go five games, we're all going to wish they went seven, nine, 11, 29 games long. I mean, I don't know if there's a series long enough that we, uh, would say, okay, that's enough. That's too many games. These are just two very sound matchups and they're fun to watch. Uh, it gets you all the more excited for the finals as far as that's considered. So we'll see how that one goes right now. I still would lean a little bit towards Chicago to pull off a close win in game two. But it's hard to say. Uh, I would not be shocked uh, to see Connecticut pull this one off because um, they definitely can have Chicago's number in some way as far as those things are considered. But times is crazy right now. We'll see how that goes. But as I had noted already, um, you know, we have some additional news diving in to this uh You know, coming out of this week and and as we continue, you know, things will continue with that. Um, We've got a couple of words. The Aces seem to just be raking in the hardware. Becky Hammond awarded WNBA Coach of the Year. Jackie Young named the WNBA's most improved player. My vote actually was originally for Plum in very much ways because Plum's played really well the last couple seasons, but this was such a huge come out for her. But for goodness sake, Jackie Young is such a great selection for this award and what she's put together becoming such a strong impact player and a big time player. She's really kind of that impetus when, you know, you look at Asia and plum is that one and two effort. Jackie Young as a third option has shown to be hugely effective, hugely impactful for that team. So I think it's very much deserved. And Asia Wilson being named the, the Kia defensive player of the year. Um, I don't know that this would surprise anyone, but I think it's one that wouldn't have been top of mind coming into the season only because she's not in that pool of players we tend to immediately think of in terms of defensive player of the year caliber players. She's always been a strong defensive player. That's true. It's just narrative based, right? You know, we see her on, on a different realm, but I think the narrative of what we've seen her do, Becky Hammond rolls in. Of course, Liz Cambage goes to Los Angeles and she very much puts the mantle on Asia saying, I need you to rule the front court. We're going to put you at the five. We're going to see if we can make this work. She took it without any complaint. She, and, and ruled that into having career highs in multiple statistics. I believe rebounds and blocks and steals possibly. Um, she's, she's led the league in blocks. She's one of the top rebounders. And I believe, 
um, I could be wrong, defensive rebounds. Um, if she's not top, she's extremely close. Um, and was top 10 in steals. So statistically, she's there. The fact that when you look at the degree of difficulty, moving essentially into a net new position or more long-term position for her at the five and the level of dominance that she's been able to put in, the defensive prowess of the Aces is the most overlooking thing about this team, this squad, this Becky Hammond-style squad, and what's made them great. It's really easy to give a lot of that attention to this high-octane, fast-paced offense that seems to put up points you know, without reproach. But their ability to overwhelm teams defensively is what's really made that happen. What's turned them into a fast-paced offensive team is that they score well in transition because they have become very proficient at disrupting and taking away, as far as defense, the defense has been considered, and Asia has been the absolute centrifuge of that. Um, I, I, you know, I don't. It's hard not to disagree with this move. There were a couple other cases that could have made some sense. Um, and, you know, when you look at Brianna Jones, Brianna Jones, I think, um, um, Alicia Gray is one name that really stood out. So I think there were a lot of different takes as far as that's considered, but I think Asia makes a lot of sense here. Um, and makes the discussion for the MVP, as I said before, very, very interesting because, um, you know, rolling in with a defensive player of the year award and an MVP award, um, would be quite the flex. And I'm not sure what the WNBA's narrative is on that. Like I've always said, the MB, the, the MVP award is very much a narrative driven award. It's always been. That's how it's always going to be. It's just the tool that it is for a sports league. And to move into a position where you potentially have high potential to hand both of these award mantles over to a single player. The thing is, Asia's got the argument for that. You know, she's performed at that level. She's scored at that level. The, the wind shares are there. Um, now the offensive wind shares do lean toward more toward Brianna in this case, but she very much stands in place as far as what she has contributed to a winning team. Now the difference here is how do you compare what she's been able to contribute as far as that's considered with what her teammates have put in, because of course, scoring wise, she hasn't, she's scored really well this year. She's played extremely well offensively, obviously, but the need, the, I suppose Mansell for that hasn't been as heavy for her as it's been in years past. Chelsea Plum's taken up a lot of that note. Chelsea Gray's taken up a lot of that. Jackie Young has taken up a lot of that. And do you, look a little bit away from that MVP and look more toward Bree Stewart, who while coupled with a Jewel Lloyd and a Sue Bird and a Tina Charles and a handful of great players definitely has put on the narrative of someone who's very much been the muscle of this team and carried that squad. Of course, as I said before, she leads uh, the league over the regular season in overall and offensive win share and, uh, you know, finished the season as the leading scorer and very much put in that level of play. And it's an interesting discussion because I think the arguments there for Asia, while it also is something that stands to, you know, there's an argument to be made easily for, for Bree as well. They're both players looking for their second MVP award, which adds intrigue to the discussion. And, you know, it goes one of two ways. If Asia obviously taking in this DPOI award, 
if she doesn't end up as the MVP, are people going to see this narrative as the Defensive Player Consolation Award, which I know other leagues who have the same structure often have that argument. Did this certain player get a Defensive Player of the Year Award because they weren't going to be MVP and they wanted to appease them in some way? That remains to be said or felt or whatever it is. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. I think the announcement for that is going to honestly fully depend on... Uh, you know, when that comes in, we'll, we'll, is easily contingent on where it goes to. I think those are the names that you tend to gravitate to, and you essentially have two uh, opportunities. You, you know, it, I wouldn't be shocked if if they speed this, if if they give this to Asia. First of all, tomorrow they'll probably have some moment on the court where they shout her out and her trophy and then let the crowd be a part of it. Do you, do you add a surprise to that and say, Hey, by the way, she's taking home two trophies. Here's the MVP award. Or are you turning this into, you know, are we waiting on this until, uh, Sunday when this actually would be, you know, where do you make it breeze moment? Um, do you wait until then to make that announcement? Cause they've essentially been going day by day. And I think they had, uh, like a soft schedule on when these announcements would come in. But as always, theatrics are very much a part of this narrative. So that's going to remain to be seen. If I had to put money down for some reason, I probably would lean to Bree as far as that's considered. Um, I think the aces do make a lot of sense. You're talking about easily the most pivotal player on the top team, but also you're looking at Bree who maintained a top four seed opportunity for her team and has very much taken on a, a huge load offensively and done so supremely well. Also, just look at how much Vegas has cleaned up in the award slot. Right now you're taking a coach of the year, most improved, and you're taking home uh, the defense player of the year, and you're going to steal the MVP as well. We've seen teams take up a huge load of awards. I'm not sure if more than, than three has happened at a time. I don't know if a team's taken home four in a given year, as far as individual awards are considered, but that would be quite the load. And like I said, with the MVP, especially that's a narrative run. And I think it would be interesting if, you know, the WNBA almost put at risk go, Hey, let's say the Seattle or the, or a team in the next round puts up an upset against the Vegas and they don't end up with a championship. And we handed them all these awards. That's a narrative thought. There's at least one person in that room having that thought, or at least one person in that, a uh, voting body, whoever it is, they may not be in a room together, whatever, <clears throat> who, who's having that level of thoughts. So it's, it, that's where the case is interesting here to say, handing this debris would make a lot of sense because for goodness sake, we essentially handed everything else over to, you know, every, you know, it's like, Hey, we're going to give all of these awards to this one movie, but this other movie is going to take home best picture. Like it balances things out a little bit, but it, I don't know. It's hard to tell. So I would lean that it probably will end up going to Stewie, but uh, I would have no qualms whatsoever if Asia Wilson takes on this hardware. Both feel like, you know, campaigns that very much have deserved their shot at taking home their second MVP. So we're just going to have to see where that stems from, how that pieces together. Uh, but that's really a lot of things for me. I've talked really fast. I've probably talked with a lot of fillers. 
but very excited to have a chance to dive into this matchup. Of course, uh, as we lean, we come out of game two and lean into game three, we'll be hitting you with another episode. Um, we'll definitely be putting that one live on Twitch when we record it as well. This episode was actually planned on being live on Twitch. Um, I had a family situation come up, uh, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, we've got a sick member of the home. They're fine. I think there's like a stomach flu thing. So, uh, I needed to make this quick. So, uh, I foregoed the, the Twitch plan and just decided to get this recording up and running, uh, and out to everyone in time. And then I'll be taking the day off to take care of the house. But, um, that said, our plan right now is we'll be on Twitch to record that live. So stay tuned for that announcement as we come into it, where we'll talk the results of game two, head into game three, uh, and really get things juiced for closing out the semifinals, moving into the finals, crowning a champion. And then we're talking Euro ball. We're talking college ball. We're talking, you know, rumors and gossip and other sports and what's going on in the NWSL and, all of that goodness, graciousness, lots of fun. Needless to say, when this season is all done and dusted, do not adjust your dial. Stay tuned. There's going to be a lot more here at the WME Nation Studios for you to enjoy. But before any and all of that, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me here on this episode of the show. Again, I'm Steve Schwartzman, and we got you next time. <laughs> 